You got any biscuits for sale in there? Hi everyone and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. This is the Kudzu Radio Hour number 121 with Buffalo and Billy, Jim and Patrick. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, September 19th, 2020. Later on in the program, we're going to be discussing Outlaws and Armadillos. Now, we got that uh, title from an exhibit that's going on right now at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. Uh, Of course, we did not say that these outlaw musicians that we're going to talk about have to be country. They can just be outlaws or display outlaw qualities. So it should be fun. The program today is brought to you by that little old band from L.A. called the Boxmasters. And they've got a brand new album coming out called Light Rays. Already getting rave reviews from coast to coast for people that have heard heard the advance on it, like yours truly. Light Rays features the hit single Breathe Easy. And, of course, the new single, which is the title track, Light Rays along with a box full of other great tracks and in my opinion it's the best band the band, let's try that again the best album the band's ever done it is really really good it's going to be available on cd vinyl and downloads uh very soon and mark your calendar they had to uh cancel the summer tour this year uh because of covid but if all goes as planned and we're safe and let's hope we are <laughs> Uh, they were going. They're going to tour next summer in the U.S. and also in Europe. The guys are chomping at the bit to play music for you. That's they love. They live for it, just like me. We all love it. That uh, also, uh, if you want to read about the band, the tour, the album, uh, just go to theboxmasters.com. Theboxmasters.com. Also follow them on social media, Facebook and Instagram. I believe the Instagram is uh, the Boxmasters official. And uh, it's just really good to follow because there's there's new posts every day, pictures every day from the archives. Kudzu Radio Hour also brought to you by our dear friends at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. Springer Mountain Chicken. Not only is it healthy, healthy healthier, yeah, but it also tastes great. That's the truth. If you haven't read the current issue of Kudzu Magazine, Go over to kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G.com, and check out issue number 39. A lot of stuff in there. A cover story interview with the great songwriter Dan Penn, and just so much more material. I hope you guys will check it out um, whenever you have a minute. Uh, I want to say that uh, if you ever want to drop us a line, about the magazine or the radio show it goes to the same same email address kudzumag at yahoo.com again it's k-u-d-z-o-o-m-a-g kudzumag at yahoo.com 
and if you're writing about radio put radio in the subject line and if you're writing about the magazine put magazine in the subject line and that'll kind of help sort it all out all right folks we're gonna we're looking forward to uh doing our recommendations here in just a few minutes of uh each of us picking a book a record and a movie that we think that you might like um but for now, we're going to play a song just to kick it off. One of uh, the people on my list of uh, great outlaws is is a guy that I feel like in country music, when you think of outlaw, you immediately think of Waylon Jennings. So the song is called, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way? Yeah, that's right, baby. So here's Waylon, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. It's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Somebody told me. Got it made Old Hank made it here We're all sure that you will But I don't think Hank done it this way I don't think Hank done it this way of course the late great Waylon Jennings and the wonderful little ditty called 
Are you sure Hank done it this way? <laughs> yeah, boy, that's now that's not a, not necessarily an English major, but um, anyway, I want you to welcome my uh, three partners in crime. Uh, they're three honest to God outlaws: Billy Eli, Patrick Beach, and Jim Hemphill. Hello, Hello, fellers. Hey, man, how are you going on, Buff? Hello, Hello Buff. How are uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jim. Thanks. Taking time off from your FM radio job, I hear. Okay. You've been That's listening correct. to NPR too much, man. NPR, public radio. I've been listening to underground FM DJs from 1972. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, well, that's that's cool. Um, well, we're going to do our recommendations, and then after that, uh, in a little bit, we're going to be talking about outlaws and armadillos, and the only reason that we're calling it that is because of the huge exhibit at the Country Music Hall of Fame called Outlaws, Outlaws and Armadillos uh, that pays tribute to just all sorts of great people from Steve Earle to, um, you know, down the line, David Alco, Waylon, uh, Willie, and the boys, everybody like that. But anyway, uh, our uh, thing for Outlaws uh, stipulates that it doesn't have to be country. It can be any kind of musical person that might be considered outlaw whatever that is and uh, so it should be kind of fun kind of wacky kind of cool kind of keen so we'll go with the recommendations uh and we will start with somebody uh somebody besides me how about uh, jim you want to start it out i will i will and i don't want to be a downer but um i lost a very close friend uh, on thursday to cancer um uh, not unexpected, but but sad, and so I'm doing my recommendations in Chris's memory because these are things that he and I had talked about over the years. Very sorry, Jim. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, me too. Was uh, it, he was a coworker. He was a coworker and a, yeah, and a, fr- I, and a friend. Yeah, and I, I, I we we knew that that had been yeah. coming up. Yeah. So I'm very sorry. Thanks, thanks. So uh, one of the last times I talked to Chris, he told a story about taken a trip on conquest airlines i don't know if billy remembers conquest airlines but there was a little regional carrier in texas that had these propeller planes that seated about 12 people and were just loud as all get out but if you wanted to fly say from austin to beaumont for some reason you flew on conquest airlines and chris told about a trip he took on conquest airlines from austin to beaumont with ray wiley hubbard uh, the uh the you know uh, man and i've got mixed feelings about this already man. <laughs> and uh and i won't tell a lot about a lot of the details but for those who don't know ray wiley he's possibly best known for writing the song up against the wall redneck mother but has a great career uh a underrated career as a as a singer songwriter himself and a great guitar player and so my choice of for a Ray Wiley Hubbard record is uh, the Grifters Hymnal, which came out in 2012. And the reason that, and he's got lots of great records, but the reason I'm picking this is because it contains probably my favorite Ray Wiley Hubbard line of all time in a song called Mother Blues. 
and that and that I guess it's two lines and it goes so there I was boys at 21 years old I had it all I had a fine stripper girlfriend and a gold top Les Paul <laughs> and, and if that doesn't define having it all at 21 years old then you're listening to the wrong show hell I'd take it now yeah, that's what I was thinking. Say that that would define having it made now. I and do have a gold. I do have a gold top. Well, I, I can tell you what I, I was close to that at twenty one. Uh, it wasn't a gold top. It was tobacco sunburst, and a, she wasn't a stripper, but she was just as crazy as one. So uh, I figured that's, that's <laughs> yeah, close you gotta enough. like that, man. So, uh, but anyway, uh, and there's also a great clip. Uh, uh, David Letterman was a big Ray Wiley Hubbard fan. Probably still is. He's he's alive. And there's a great clip of Ray Wiley playing Mother Blues on the Letterman show. And the Les Paul gold top guitar plays a plays a role in the in the Letterman performance too. check it out on YouTube. Uh, Grifter's hymnal, Ray Wiley Hubbard. But you can't go wrong with any record. Pick up Growl, pick up his new one with it's a duets record. They're all great. Um, my book recommendation uh, my friend Chris was a big college football fan, as as am I. And we don't really talk about sports on this but but uh but i know that uh, that that uh, we read the same book at about the same time about college football and it's by an author from here in austin who i don't know but patrick might sc gwynn mm -hmm. yeah and well, he's, he's not in austin anymore he's not in austin anymore okay i i yeah. don't know him but the book is called the perfect pass and it is about the development of what's known as the air raid offense by uh, a coach named Hal Mummy, who started out at a little college called Iowa Wesleyan and hired a lawyer who had never played college football as an assistant coach named Mike Leach. Uh, of course, Leach is now at uh, Mississippi State after having gone through Texas Tech and, and Washington State. Um, and Hal Mummy ended up uh, at the University of Kentucky for a while, and now he's offensive coordinator at some small school but anyway it's a great book about how they created this pass heavy offense that has revolutionized football all the way up to the NFL you know only in the past 10 years has football really become a pass first pass oriented game uh, and it really uh, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach were the architects of that and so SC Gwynn uh, wrote a book that that traces that whole development of of that offense it's called the perfect pass excellent book if you're a fan of college football my movie recommendation is going to be a repeat i won't say much about it i don't like to do things i've done before but uh, chris and i had a conversation once about what a great movie the last picture show was uh, and chris grew up in in various small towns or smaller cities around texas his dad was a professor who moved around a little bit uh angelo state uh, so chris chris wow. spent time in san angelo he spent time growing up in commerce some of the real garden spots of texas and we <laughs> we were talking about what a you know how 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 beautifully uh the last picture show captures some of that even though it was you know set in a time before our time chris was my age and uh and i just had a great conversation with him about the last picture show so that's going to be my recommendations uh, so rest in peace, Chris, and uh, pass it over to the next guy. That's cool, man. That's so nice. Yeah, it's good. Good list, man. Uh, nice tribute. Uh, about uh, about uh, San Angelo. You've been in the Walmart there. <laughs> <laughs> Badoom. No, I've been in the one in Brownwood, and that's bad enough. 
<coughs> oh, you gotta see, yeah, you gotta, you gotta see that Walmart in San Angelo. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Bill, you want to go or you want? Yeah, to I'll go. Me? I've actually been reading a book this week, Ooh. and I'm gonna. <laughs> and here's what I'm gonna. Uh, wow. Well. Yeah, and we we can talk about the selection I'm gonna make on the on the book uh the, on the novella uh. We'll talk, we can talk about this at the end of the show. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, I don't have a record album recommendation. I'll let Pat have that for my, he can have my record. Uh, man, it's, we I got it's, you. I got you. This is like, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of the lunchroom in middle school. We're trading, we're trading the contents of our lunch, <laughs> of our lunch box. Um, the uh my my book is uh Washington uh Washington Square by Henry James <laughs> and uh I, you know I, yeah I, I understand it's a hundred years old or whatever but it's it's actually a uh I here's what happened I was watching old movies and uh I don't remember the name of the movie but it was based on that it was based on that uh Henry James story and it starred Olivia de Havilland and she passed away pretty recently. And I was a big fan of, of, of her stuff, especially the swashbucklers that she did with, with Errol Flynn, you know, the Robin Hood movies and uh, Captain Blood. And, and, and uh, so I, I had an afternoon off and I was just kind of binge watching old, old movies that had Olivia de Havilland in them. And uh, I don't remember, I, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's an it's an adaptation of uh, Washington Washington Square by Henry James, and it's uh, what I really liked about it was the uh, the social roles that women were were expected to adhere to uh, in in the early twentieth century, and it's about this woman whose whose father is is a physician, and he, and he's. Uh, He's very wealthy, and, she, and uh, his daughter is wealthy in her own right because uh, she's an heiress. Because her mother, who died in childbirth, left her uh, a lot of money, and it's about uh, it's about uh, the way her father thinks about her. That she's she's not particularly smart, and she's not particularly pretty, and she's kind of got some money, so a man may be interested in her, and then a man is interested in her, and he doesn't like that man because. He's just a little too much of a, of a, uh, you know, fortune hunter. And, but, you know, after you get past the, the language thing that it's, you know, written in late 19th century English. So it's, it's kind of dense, but the story is actually quite good. Uh, I gave my, uh, I gave my uh, musical pick, my album to Patrick and my movie is uh, Zorro mask of Zorro with, uh, Tyrone Power, I think, is the is stars in it, and uh, it's here's the the you know I love all that old hokey swashbuckle stuff anyway, and Basil Rathbone was the best movie villain ever, man. He looked the part. His voice it, when he when he wasn't doing Sherlock Holmes, he looked arrogant. He sounded arrogant, it, you know, and. You know, being a, and all of us here are writers, so uh, y'all probably get do things like this sometimes. When you'll find yourself watching a a, a 
a period piece and I start thinking about the language that they use versus the language that we use now. And one of the insults that uh, that Basil Rathbone uses, uh, Zorro, is uh, come along, my fancy clown. <laughs> you know, and, and, and right, and, and they're but you know they're about to duel, and and it's like, you know, I mean, in in in. The 21st century that's just really not that much of an insult yeah yeah but uh but uh, you know i've always I, i'm 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 interested in words and language and in and how you know and how it's evolved uh, and especially common you know language and slang and things like that so uh so i found that movie interesting and and uh maybe our maybe our listeners will too and and i gave my album pick to pat so go ahead and take it now pat all right. Well, as it happens, uh, Billy and I both picked the, the same record this week. Uh, it was uh, it came out about 1993 from Rhino Records. It's called Comm- Commemorativo, a tribute to Graham Parsons. And that is, a good, is, that is a good record. Yeah. <laughs> as is as is always the case with these tribute records, it's kind of hit or miss. But when they hit, they hit really hard. Steve Wynn does Christine's tune. Um one of particular interest to me is Vic Chestnut and Bob Mould doing Hickory Wind. And it also includes the best Graham Parsons cover ever. And that is a song for you by a band that at that time was called Peter Hallsapple and Susan Cowsill with the Walkin' Tacos doing a song for you. Uh, that band became a super group of sorts called the Continental Drifters. And a song for you is also on that record too, but there's some really, really great Parsons covers, some faithful, some off the wall, some don't hit, but Billy and I both agree. This is a pretty good tribute record. What year did that come out? I'm looking at it right now. 1993 on Rhino. Oh, I'm sure. Damn it. I, I, is the song uh Las Las Vegas on there? No, it's not. Okay. There was another tribute album that came out near that one, and I'm I'm I can't remember. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Jim's got it right there. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Which one, uh, it, and that one has Who Las Vegas on it, right? Yeah, it does. It's called uh, Return of the Grievous Angel. Right. And who and yeah. what band and what band did Las Vegas? It's like Jane's Addiction or somebody, right? No, it's Cowboy Junkies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With yeah. the incredible Margot. They, they, Margo. Margo. They, they they did it they did it kind of real slow and real airy. I remember exactly. everything that she did was slow and airy. That's right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's a great yeah. album, the one that Jim has there. That, yeah, and, that's a and, really and, good record. And that was the one I was actually thinking about. So, but yeah, I like the one me and Pat chose too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my book, my book, uh, my next. Oh yeah, you got a book. I forgot you could read. <laughs> much more. Yeah, I've been reading all week, and damn, are my lips tired? Um, <laughs> the book just came out on Tuesday. It's Bob Woodward's latest rage about the uh, mostly about the second trump administration and uh woodward has been at this for 50 years i don't want to get political i just want to talk about his methodology which is absolutely unimpeachable if woodward says something happened it definitely happened and he's doing a tremendous service to history in getting all of this on the record albeit much of it on deep background as they say 
for the very first time in his career, he actually comes out with an opinion. And that is that the president is not cut out to be president. That's, that's his judgment on the very last page of the book. But man, I, I have such enormous respect for his work ethic. You know, after Watergate, when he and Bernstein were famous, Woodward decided to write books and Bernstein decided to go to Studio 54. <clears throat> 50 years later, Woodward is still at it. And you can say he has opinions, but he doesn't until the very last page of how many books has he written? 17, 18, 19? Yeah. And he's written books on every president. The, the, yeah. Since the, yeah. That's what every I was president since, right. since Nixon. The, yeah. Yeah. He's not the greatest writer. And for the longest time, I found that a little bit off-putting because I like writing that's colorful and a little more show-offy. But when you have material like he does, you don't need to overwrite. Well, it, just just tell the story. It, well, he's he really and truly he is a reporter, not a writer. He is yeah. reporting what he found. And, that's and, absolutely that's absolutely and, right. And and I, I've <clears throat> often thought that when I read his stuff, but like you, his uh, you know, his, his conclusions and his and his and his uh, his conclusions and and his sources and all that are yeah. I mean, they're rock solid. And of course, he's been on TV all week long. And I saw somebody interview him <coughs> this week who Woodward had gone to interview like 20, 25 years ago. Woodward walks in and sits down with this guy and says, OK, I know you were in a meeting with President Clinton and yada, yada, yada on February 29th, 1993 about this. And can I have your notes? <laughs> he went into this knowing so much that the guy uh, just said, all right, he's got me. He's got me. You know, right. there's no you. Yeah. So that's my book, Rage, by Bob Woodward. Let me and, just uh, chime in real quickly and say that Bob Woodward, my real, I mean, I've never read a bunch of his stuff, but I did enjoy the uh, Belushi book that he did. The, uh, Wired. I got I got, I got to admit that's one that I haven't read, and I, I wonder how he feels about it, because he's never gone back to a, a celebrity of any sort. Um, I know he angered, uh, he angered John's wife uh, really yeah. very badly with it, but... But it was, you know, like you say, the thing about it is he tells the truth and there's yeah. there's no denying that he gets the facts, you know. He's a yeah. reporter and he reported what he found. And yeah. and, and, and yeah, yeah, and I could see where that would have It wasn't a happy story with John, you know. So that's the I truth. Know. No. Anyway, and, go ahead. Uh, well, one word also wrote a book about uh, uh, the Supreme Court called The Brethren. Uh, relatively early on in his career, and and yeah, I got to mention War Scott Armstrong, who, right. I, who I've worked with before. Yeah, and, great. And book. we're we're recording this just uh, just less than a day after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so I've got to recommend the documentary on her RBG about what a trailblazer she was and how much she did for women even before she gained a, a seat on the Supreme Court, uh, in which her principal role was as a dissenter. Jim can correct me on this, but as far as I know, she never wrote a majority opinion. Do you know anything oh, about yeah, that? Oh yeah, absolutely. She wrote majority opinions. Oh, did she? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. But that's oh, yeah. that's not my that's not my movie recommendation. My movie recommendation is also just out this week on Netflix. It's called Challenger: The Final Flight about the disaster. Oh yeah. That could have been prevented and should have been prevented from 1986. Everybody remembers where they were. Oh, yeah. uh, I I was in college. I walked into the college newspaper office. Everybody was watching the TV, which was unusual <laughs> at the time and I was like, oh shit. And this is a <clears throat> this is not a substantial investment of time. It's just four episodes that are under an hour each. But it just shows how engineers 
were screaming about these O-rings. Yeah, that's well, what, that was going to be my question. I, uh, yeah. that, that's the one that it had an ill-fitting O-ring. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And uh, it's 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 a this systemic tragedy, a systemic failure. But they were just hell bent on having as many launches as possible, and they were behind schedule. And it was way too cold for them to launch that week that morning, and they did anyway. And a bunch of people died. We were uh, we were in college, and we were uh, watching the launch, and you know, watching the launch as people do. And there were a bunch of us gathered in the uh, recreation room to watch it. And it was just this one of those moments. If there's five moments in my life that I just felt like the whole world had turned upside down, you know, you see them going up and the thing explodes. It's like, what? Yeah. It's like that and nine eleven things like that are just right. Uh, right. You 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 kind of don't believe what it takes you a minute to actually believe the thing that you're. Yeah, seeing. I mean, you you had just yeah. seen the teacher and all the other crewmen. Right, right. They, and right. and and they look so happy and cheery, and it's like boom, gone. And uh, yeah, right. it's like and say I, it was a faulty, uh, stupid mistake. And I gotta yeah. watch that on Netflix, Patrick. I, you got me uh, last week when I think it was last week you talked about the show on there, uh, the fictional show called Away. How do you like it? Oh, I am loving it. I'm absolutely yeah. loving it. It's uh, it's really good. I mean, there's uh, it's uh, yeah. Let me say I've got I've got several things I would say about it, but I'm not going to. But I'm it's, it's uh, I mean, you know, I started to do the male thing. Uh, because the younger uh, Asian you, girl that's you, on there is just so beautiful, and I yeah. don't want to sound like yeah, a creep, so I won't that. say that that she is, although I already have said it. But uh, anyway, that's all your stuff, right? Well, I just want to say one more thing about uh, the the series on Netflix. is called Challenger: The Final Flight. Yeah. The funny thing is, we're we're talking about how we all remember where we were with these seminal moments, but <clears throat> I remember more about the day the Challenger blew up on liftoff 70 seconds after liftoff than i do uh much later about the disintegration of the columbia which happened basically over my house yeah i was thinking to say uh, hell that that happened right where we lived man it yeah was like it dropping did, yeah. parts yeah yeah i don't but, even i don't even know if i even knew about that well the yeah. thing it was it was it was a saturday or sunday afternoon and yep. that one they had a they had a faulty heat shield right they had a heat right. shield That's that correct. came loose yep. and yep. And I think part of the reason that it, it's easier to overlook that one is they were on their way back. I mean, they were in the last, they were in the very last legs of what had been a successful mission. And, mm-hmm. and then suddenly something went wrong, which I meant, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. It's, it, it's always sudden, something suddenly went wrong. Cause if they'd known it was going to go wrong, they'd have fixed it. But uh, what year was that? Oh, jeez. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It was in the, two, well, it was in the 2000s, man. Yeah. 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 How many crew members? Uh, I think there were only three. I'll Google it. But yeah, I, I, that's I weird that I, I never I, even heard about that. Here, because, here's what I here's hmm. what I know about that timeline. It was after the internet was a big deal because uh, a guy north of Austin, like up in Temple or somewhere, got popped for finding some debris and selling it on, putting it up for sale on eBay. Yep. I remember yeah, that. yeah. Most yeah. most of the debris was scattered over a field, a large field, large area in East Texas. It was uh, February first, two thousand three. Seven yeah. 
seven astronauts. Yeah, you know, how in the world I missed that story altogether? Because like I just said, it wasn't, they, they had, they had been, what their, their mission they had, was it right at the end? I mean, it had been like two weeks of just uneventful, not very much. And so it wasn't getting covered a whole lot because there wasn't really anything happening right up until it did. But, uh, yeah, the, um, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about this and, and uh, the, uh, the Space Shuttle Challenger uh, catastrophe, when that happened, I was in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. When 9-11 happened, I was in Abilene, Texas, which tells me I need to stay out of shitty small towns. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good one. It seems like every time I'm in one, something horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Well, I'll do mine now. Um, I'll try and lighten up the mood a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With a simple, Mm. simple movie, a simple little movie about how money corrupts. It's a, a, It's a movie from 1998 called A Simple Plan, based oh, on the man. novel by Sam Smith. I did, oh, not, I did not see the movie. I read the book and liked the book. Oh, yeah, man. well, the movie's I, I great. It's, uh, of course, it's they Billy Bob great. Thornton, Bill Paxton, Bridget Fonda. Uh, and uh, the synopsis is something like, uh, while in the woods near their small town, upstanding local Hank Mitchell... And his dim brother Jacob, played by Billy Bob, and their friend Lou Brent Briscoe, discover a crashed plane with two things in it: a dead pilot and a stash of more than four million dollars. Although Hank is reluctant to keep the money, Jacob and Lou convince him otherwise, and they devise a plan to split. You're reading that off of Wikipedia. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Yeah. Things go, rather than summing up myself, I thought that I would get all the facts straight. Things quickly go wrong, however, dramatically affecting the trio and those around them. Went into almost into a Casey Kasem. And those around them. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Um, But anyway, great movie. Billy Bob says that that is his favorite death scene of all the death scenes in all of his movies. That's his oh, favorite spoiler. one. So, that's good. It's yeah, a great movie. Great, great movie. The, 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 book, is, the, the book is fantastic. I, yeah, the book I, is great. I, I, yeah, I remember uh, finishing that book and turning the last page and just wanting it to go on and on and on. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, Me too. That was part of, I mean, no knock on Bill Paxton or Billy Bob Thornton or anybody. It's just, that's why I didn't watch a movie. I liked that book so much and I thought, you know, even if they pull off a really good movie, they will deviate from the novel somewhere and, and it will ruin it for me and yeah. think, you know, I'll just watch something else. Yeah. I almost wish I'd done that with uh, Stephen King's Misery because the book affected me so much. And then the movie was great. Kathy Bates was great. James Conn was great. Uh, although every time I see him, I think about Brian's song for some reason. But the... Uh, the <laughs> I do, but the, uh, and it was great, but it was nothing compared to how shocking the book was, you know. No, I, I, I agree with you on that one too, Buff. And well, I the books that, let I, us, let our imagination paint these pictures more than what 
a director wants you to see, you know. But it is a great movie, so I ain't going to take away from that. I will go moving on into the record album. Wait, that was your lighthearted choice? Yes. <laughs> well, like I say, it's just a lighthearted movie about, um, you it's know, a, money corrupting. About and, it's a fun romantic romp. And family members <laughs> killing each other in the Every snow. Yet? Everything Jennifer, that possibly goes wrong yeah, does. Yeah, and exactly. Jennifer, it's a beautiful. Okay, and how is that different than any gig we've ever played? Exactly. It's like, <laughs> I, I got. I got to say, Jennifer Aniston has never been better than she was in that movie. Have I got that right? Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. Aniston? Oh, I no. don't Hello, think she anybody. Was... <laughs> yeah, you you really uh, familiar with the movie? Are you? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jane Fonda was really good at it. not Jane Fonda, Bridget Fonda. Oh, okay. Um, Olivia Olivia de Havilland. That's yeah, what I was thinking of. She was great in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Olivia. Because and it's and it's a lighthearted swashbuckling role. Yeah, no, and nobody's even mentioned Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her role in the movie. <laughs> uh, but she was a, a heroine then, as she always was. Um, not only heroine, but a heroine. Oh, never mind. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> there was. That's a, <laughs> anyway, record. Um, Oh my goodness, wow, in keeping with the theme, sort of, one of my all-time favorite albums is Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings, songs all written by another outlaw called Billy Joe Shaver. Who's way more of a real outlaw. Yeah, way more of an outlaw, but I'm not, you know, you know, although, although every time you mention outlaws to most people, outlaw country, they go Waylon and Willie, so there you go. But Shaver... Yeah, very much an outlaw. Shot a guy in the face. Why not? And, uh, <laughs> and shot the guy in the leg. Let's get, let's get it right. Let's be needed, responsible. Yeah, okay. And he, 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 uh, apparently he needed shooting. His, that he was needed shooting is what Billy said. Billy Joe said he needed shooting. And, and, and part of that, or at least the, the local legend was part of it, was he asked the guy, he told the guy to leave him alone, and the guy wouldn't go away, and he pulls out his gun and goes, okay, where do you want it? Exactly, yeah. Uh, Honky Tonk Heroes, great songs, including the title track. Of course, he did the cut. He did Shaver's, uh, all of them Shaver songs, but Old Five and Dimers Like Me is a great one. Black Rose is a great one. Ain't No God in Mexico. Let me just jump in and say he's got one of the best lines in, in all of country music, and I know Jim Hemphill will agree with me on this, and it's, I've been to Georgia on a fast train, honey, and I wasn't born no yesterday. I wasn't born no yesterday. I got a good Christian raising and an eighth grade education. Yeah, but you were talking earlier about the the grammar. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's Shaver. He's writing the same way he talks, you know. Well, the Shaver goes, hold on. Shaver, the story goes that Shaver gave uh, Waylon a cassette of some of his demos, and he said, all I want is for you to just listen to these songs. And if you don't, I'm going to kick your ass. That's true. <laughs> I've read that before. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that, yeah, that could happen. Yep. Yep. And uh, from what I understand, he was like at one of Whalen's shows when he did it. And, uh, he hey, man, if you want to hear some tape. good stories about him, you know who we ought to have on this show is Chuck Lamb. Uh Oh yeah, Chuck, Chuck yeah. owned the Chuck yeah. owned the Austin Outhouse for years, man, and and them guys all played there, and and man, I told Chuck he should write a book. Unfortunately, I 
I'm not sure what he has. I'm, I bet it's really hard to spell, but it, but it mimics ADD in that you can say, Hey man, what's the weather like? And he'll start talking about the gears on his bicycle. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to wrap up mine with, uh, the book, uh, fiction, a fiction book. One of my favorite authors, the late Larry Brown. And, uh, this is from 1989 called dirty work and uh takes place over a period of two days in a va hospital with a uh white veteran of the vietnam war who's just been admitted with his face has been completely reconstructed after war wounds and uh he's also got bullet fragments in his brain that causes him to black out or have dizziness but he meets a black man in the same hospital and they both uh well, the black man has lost his arms and legs in gunfire in Vietnam, but they strike up a friendship. Uh, the uh, black man has been in the VA hospital for 22 years. And uh, so they start talking and everything. But uh, the uh, the white guy, uh, Walter James, he, uh, you know, he's not, you know, quite there. Uh <laughs> And they both, they, you know, they, it's a kind of a stream of consciousness style uh, that ta- takes, most of it takes place inside of uh, Braden's brain, uh, the black man, inside of his mind, because his mind's very confused. He starts constructing uh, these elaborate fantasies, uh, most of which involve him being a king in Africa. <laughs> And he does all this stuff just to escape his physical state. But the dialogue Larry Brown has between these guys is just perfect. And uh, I had become a Larry Brown fan through uh, the first one I read by him was Joe. And then he wrote one called Faye that was equally... (laughs) I mean, it's not... His stuff is not easy to digest. But the writing and all just keeps it moving, and I really just love everything Larry Brown did. And it, it was interesting that he was a firefighter and just started writing and got such a great career and then ended up uh, dying young, which is sad, but that seems to happen quite often. Um, so that's all of us on recommendations, right? Yep. That's it. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a song and come right back and do our topic. So the song that we're going to play is by a band called Fog Hat, and it's a song called Rock and Roll Outlaw, which uh, I yeah. haven't heard in years. It's like, so a, theme. Like, it's like a theme thing. Yeah, it's a theme. It's in keeping with the theme. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, it's like you, it's as if we had a theme. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Inter- introduce it in your voice. Up. <clears throat> <laughs> Up next, Foghat, the kings of boogie rock with Rock and Roll Outlaw. (laughs) That's perfect. We'll be right back.
right, folks, that was the band Foghat with my buddy Roger Earl on the drums and Rock and Roll Outlaw. And, uh, well, it's time, that time of the program when we talk about our subject of the day, which is Outlaws and Armadillos. And we're going to talk about outlaw musicians. And like I said, going in, we, we didn't uh, specify any, you know, didn't say outlaw country or outlaw punk or outlaw anything. So it's just whatever the four of us decide uh, that we think are uh, legitimate outlaw uh, musicians. So we're going to start with uh, Jim Hemphill is going to give you his first. How about that? Well, thank you, Buff. Thank you, Buff. You know, I thought about this, and, you know, there could be a lot of different meanings of outlaw, obviously, someone who, who, you know, to be outlaw means you work outside some accepted system of norms or rules, right? Or, or and, expectation too. Or, exactly. And, and um, there's, you know, there's the literal outlaws who work outside that system of rules that we call the criminal law, but there's also uh, folks who work outside any kind of system of norms or expectations or rules written or unwritten in the, in the music world or anything else. So I've got a variety of different ones and, and hopefully they won't be, not all of them will be too obvious. I start where I start a lot of my conversations about rock and roll and I've done it here before, but um, it's, I do it because I think it's important. And I start with Chuck Berry. Uh, <coughs> Chuck Berry was a literal outlaw in that he had several scrapes with the law. Um, he had a problem with taking minors. <laughs> he had a problem with taxes. He had a problem with voyeurism. Chuck was a, 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 a you know, yeah. he had some, he had some aspects of his character were less than savory. Let's just he, put it that way. He had some eccentricities, but also, um, he he you know to me i always call him the real king of rock and roll no no disrespect to elvis but to me chuck was he wasn't a he wasn't a white guy trying to sound black he was a black guy that synthesized r&b and hillbilly music and as a matter of fact as we've talked about before when his first first big hit came out maybelline a lot of people thought he was a white hillbilly right um because mm -hmm. it kind of sounds like that but then he did things like, you know, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite Chuck Berry songs is called Brown Eyed Handsome Man. And you know, when he says brown eyed, he means yeah. brown skinned. Right. Right. And, right. and, you know, uh, you know, showing the world that, that, you know, black men could be handsome and could be dashing and could, could do all those things. And, and, uh, you know, and I think that he helped bridge that gap between, what were called race records back in the day and, and the, uh, pop and, and country stuff. So, uh, for, for his musical trailblazing, as well as his brushes with the law, Chuck Berry's my first outlaw. Um, that's a good pick. And he always said, he always said, I mean, he invented the idea of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he wasn't, I mean, you know, all the elements of his music had been present in different places before he was, a, uh, he was a synthesis. Now yeah. his lyric writing was pretty darn original, but all yeah. the, all the, you know, that famous Chuck Berry, those famous Chuck Berry intro looks, those existed. Uh, right. But, but he always he, said he wanted, he wanted to be Louis Jordan. Right. 
and and he you know and, and he stole a lot from the stole borrowed a lot from a lot of the great blues artists and everything but he put it together in a way that it hadn't been done before he stole a lot from jimmy johnson who wound up driving a well, cab jimmy johnson basically wrote the melodies uh-huh. uh for for his songs and that's why a lot of them are in like b flat mm-hmm because they're piano keys, not guitar they're in, keys. They're in, they're in piano keys. Yeah, exactly absolutely. Exactly right. Okay, my next one is um, something that was predicted that I would go with. Um, Michael Nesmith. The, uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to rebel against the system when you're not part of the system, and that's good and valid. It's another thing to rebel against the system when you've been part of the system, which is a different thing and, and different but when you rebel against the system, when you have been a creation of the system, is a whole nother ball of wax. So, number two outlaw is the monkeys, and in particular, ding, 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 we have a winner. So, 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 um, you know, the second monkeys album came out without the monkeys knowing the actual four guys knowing it was coming out, and they were pissed and they particularly nesmith and torque who were the real musicians and they had a meeting a legendary meeting with donnie kirshner who was the, the musical director in which nesmith put his hand put his fist through the wall of a hotel in la and told don kirshner that could have been your mf and face <laughs> uh and, and the thing about it is this was not a rebellion based on money because Nesmith was the only guy in the band who was writing songs. And he had two songs on each of the first two Monkees records, and he could have probably retired at that point just off right. the royalties. But he wanted, he said, look, you put us together. And, and he, his quote always is, Nesmith these days said, Pinocchio became a real boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because it was, ca- yeah that kind of describes it it was a tv show and all of a right. sudden it, it became a band and it unveiled a talent in in michael nesmith who you, i've said many times before I'm, i have great admiration for him as a songwriter and then after the monkeys broke up he went on to do the first national band which was you know some of the roots of what became americana alternative country with the great great red roads on pedal steel and so, uh, so, so the monkeys, and particularly yep. Papa Nez, is, is my next outlaw. My number three slot. I've gone through several bands trying to decide who to put here. First, I had the Velvet Underground. Then I had the Stooges, but I settled on the Ramones. Um, Another good choice, man. Because of what the Ramones did, particularly on their first record. I mean, this was in the middle of Fleetwood Mac taking three years and half a million dollars to make a record. And the Ramones went into a studio in Radio City Music Hall in New York City for three days and made a record for $6,400 that changed music. Right. Uh, and, um, and then they went over to Europe and they played a famous show on the day of the bicentennial, 4th of July, 1976, uh, with members of The Clash and the Sex Pistols and all of them. And they hadn't really broken out yet. And they were talking about, well, you know, when we get good enough, we're going to play. And the Ramones said, what do you mean when you get good enough? <laughs> you are what you are. Go out and play. Go out and do it. And um, that was so different than, uh, than the, the system in place. And that first Ramones album is a stone classic, as are the first three or four albums are all terrific. And it really did change uh change music and and i like to say 
that I, I, I tend to like any band more now if you can tell they've listened to the Ramones. And it can be any style of music, but they had a certain aesthetic and a certain we are what we are. And there might be bands that play better or anything, but no one sounds like us and we go out and do what we do. And that was just outlaw as hell. So that's the Ramones. My next one is a band that pioneered the uh, American independent DIY spirit. Do it yourself. Oh, yeah. Who is this? Book your own tours. Play American, rent out American Legion halls and put on shows there. If, if there's nowhere that will accept you, have your own record label. And that is the classic American hardcore band, Black Flag. And... Um, I, you know, I'm not much of a hardcore guy and I can listen to some Black Flag, but as, as people who worked outside the system and established a whole new way of doing things, they, they deserve credit. And of course, Henry Rollins has become quite an interesting character through the years, um, who was not their first or only singer, but their most high profile singer and has, has done lots of stuff from the Rollins band to spoken word stuff to, to, to all kinds of things. And, uh, he, Very he's an actor as well, right? He's an actor. He'll, he, Henry is upfront about this. He'll probably do just about anything that will get him a paycheck um, <laughs> because he can't do much of anything else and people hire him to do things. And, and uh, he is also probably the world's biggest fan of the Stooges. And uh, he is a, a, he's a, he's a very interesting guy. But Black Flag. Sabbath, he, lo he loves Sabbath. He too. loves Sabbath too. Uh, yeah. Black Flag, and he loves free jazz. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Black Flag really, really changed things up in, in the way that bands could get out and play music. So that's number four. And, you know, I've avoided the, the Willie and Waylon kind of and Billy Joe Shaver and Ray Wiley Hubbard. And I love all those guys. Um, but my last pick is going to be someone who carries on that tradition. And that's Steve Earle. Um, Steve Earle, of course, literal outlaw, has spent time in prison. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what gets me about Steve Earle is that first record, Guitar Town, came out. And if he would have not been Steve Earle, uh, but had just decided to, to concentrate on it, he could have had Dwight Yoakam's career. Yeah, That's, that's really funny yeah. that you mentioned it that way, because that's how I've often thought about it since <laughs> it broke, kind of at the same time. And they were at about the same level. Yep. For exactly. the, the first the the first uh, steps of their career, but uh, I want to say this about about your list, Jim, and uh, I really this I tip my hat uh, to the list you made. Every every artist and band on your list, they're all genuine, and that's yeah. you know yeah. when you were you were talking about uh, what your first pick, and you were talking about Chuck Berry, and and you consider him the king of rock and roll, and and no knock on Elvis or anything. And then I got to thinking, you know, the uh, the the people, the the artists that mostly get identified as as you know launching rock and roll, Elvis and uh, and Bill Haley, and you know, Bill Haley was a big band leader that drifted into rock around the clock thing with an electric guitar because it was kind of novel and and he was able to he was able to to you know uh capitalize on that the novelty of the thing he was doing 
but all the people that you that in on your list they would have done it, 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 it regardless of the success or fame or money or anything else they would have they they had already been doing it exactly the way they were going to do it and would have continued to do it that way regardless yeah. of what the payoff was and that's right. that's real interesting that you would say that and and I agree 100% and it's kind of interesting to think of a, of, of someone like the monkeys being considered or Nesmith is being considered genuine but because they were as artificial as you get at the way they were thrown together but you know even before the monkeys Nesmith had written different drums you know, which of course was Linda Ronstadt's. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, but like you said earlier, I mean, and no, and no knock on the other guys in the monkeys that that were primarily actors that could, you know, Mickey Dolans could play the drums and David Jones could sing and kind of play the piano a little bit. But, but Torkin, you know, Torkin and Smith, I mean, they were real working musicians and they were real songwriters and, and, uh, yeah. And there, kind of it kind of fell into that thing, but I mean, they, you know, they they came into that monkeys deal being a whole lot more than a manufactured television yeah. band. And and yeah. and Dolan's turned out to be a great singer too, but you know, um, and a solid drum. <laughs> I'm I'm always I'm always I'm always and a member of the Hollywood Vampires Drinking Club with Alice Cooper and John Lennon and Harry Nilsson. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm always talking about YouTube clips, but there's back after Peter Tork quit the monkeys and they limped on as a three piece for a while, they were on the Johnny Cash show. And there is a clip on YouTube of them doing one of Nesmith's songs in three part harmony with just Nesmith playing guitar. That is just stunningly good, just stunningly good. So check it out. But anyway, those are my, those are my five. All right. It's a good list, man. Good list. Thanks. I'm going to jump out and do mine because I just want to do it before I pass out or something. Boom, go, Buff. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the first one, my number five, is uh, I'm going to do a disclaimer and say that I'm not a fan of the guy at all, at all. But I think he's pretty doggone outlaw. Uh, this guy uh, died in 1979. His name is John Simon Ritchie, better known as Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious, the uh, bassist and vocalist for, of course, the Sex Pistols. And uh, he's very, very outlaw in his behavior. He was always in trouble with the law, self-destructive. Uh, he was yeah. even charged with killing his girlfriend. I don't know if that really happened or not, but uh, there's conflicting reports. But uh, very much uh, an outlaw, and like I said, um, I've never enjoyed the Pistols' music, but you know they did create quite a wave, and he, he and Johnny Rotten both, uh, you know, cre created quite a, uh, quite a stir, and it was very outlaw. I mean, very outlaw. So anyway, moving on down to number four, somebody I am a fan of that is very outlaw is David Allen Coe. Uh, he often refers to himself as an outlaw. He also uh, weaves that into his songs, you know, like Long-Haired Redneck, where he says country DJs think that I'm an outlaw and they never come to see me in this dive, blah, 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 blah. He talks about being an outlaw a lot. He was former member of the Outlaws Motorcycle Club, too, which is uh, yet another outlaw thing for Co. But uh, when it comes down to brass tacks, I think he's a, he can be a really good singer and he's a really excellent songwriter, uh, really excellent. 
like so many entertainers, he's got plenty of baggage, I know, because he spent an entire day at my house. Telling you about it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, he just, he didn't talk about it. He just talked about, I mean, what he did was um, brought a DVD in to play on my TV of a video he had just done with Pantera. And, uh, and uh, so I had my daughter who was very young and my wife and all, we were in him and his girlfriend and we were all sitting in there and her mother we're all sitting there and he puts this thing on and he says, uh, there's two versions. He said, now play the, the first, the first version, not the second version. So I did exactly what he said. And I think he did it on purpose. He had, uh, had me to play this, uh, it's a song he did called nothing to lose, but the version he did with Pantera was just, you know, as a combination of metal and country, which was weird. Yeah, but the then there was, uh, it had all this... Pre-Hank 3? The, yeah, the video had all this imagery of like a train going into a tunnel and then it would cut to a couple, uh, you know, having sex. Right. <laughs> and here's my young daughter and my wife and everybody. And I'm like, I look over and he's kind of just kind of smiling, you know, because he knew he did, I knew he did that on purpose, just as a shock thing. Likes to shock people. But anyway... Outlaw number four, David Allen Coe. Number three is Vincent Fernier, Alice Cooper, the man, not the band. The band was pretty outlaw too, but the man himself, uh, when he first came on the scene, he did lots of things that would constitute being an outlaw, uh, including being drunk 90% of the time. <laughs> And also having a live snake and a guillotine in his uh, stage show. I think it's pretty outlaw. So uh, I think about Cooper, Alice Cooper, as being one of the uh, one of the real outlaws as well too. And just jumping between genres just like crazy. My number two is Ronnie Van Zant from Leonard Skinner, uh, Southern Rock. A rebel with a cause, that's what I like to call him. Uh, very, very outlaw. And uh, the guy would, it, it didn't take much for him to throw a punch and start a fight. I mean, it's like, you know, very, very, uh, very outlaw and uh, down to earth at the same time. But it's kind of like a, I would have to, I would have to uh, classify him as a, as one of the outlaws. And, uh, Anyway, that about that, Ronnie Van Zant. And my other one, uh, my number one is a tie. And, you know, you guys can give me a hard time all you want to. I don't care. We don't ever give you a hard time. Not at all. It's uh, Waylon and Willie. Damn, I can't believe you picked that. <laughs> the two fathers of outlaw country music, as far as I'm concerned. Nine times out of ten, when you say something to somebody outlaw country, they're going to think of Waylon or Willie or Waylon and Willie first. It's just because, maybe because of the Outlaw album that came out with Jesse and all this. I don't know. And Tom Paul Glacier. And Tom Paul, about, let's not forget who, Tom. Who's about as outlaw as what, man? Peter Pan? I mean, yeah. were, I mean, him and his brothers, they were just a straight up like bluegrass band, right? Well, like yeah. Family. Jesse Coulter wasn't necessarily an outlaw either, but 
but you know, marketing. Yeah, you got to say it was a damn good marketing ploy. It was, it was great. They, Same they got the, they got some mileage out of that. Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, that's uh, that's my outlaw. So now the question remains: uh, Who's going next, Billy or Pat? I'll go next. Okay. Because anything, because yeah, because I may pass some of mine to Pat. I love having him on the show. <laughs> I don't, I've, already I don't, up, I've already brought up Graham Parsons. So I don't even I don't even have to pretend to prepare. <laughs> I don't even I don't even have to say, oh damn, I made a list, but I can't find it. No, man, I didn't make a list. I knew Pat was gonna be here. Oh, <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I'm I have I actually have a list and, and actually thought about this. One of the reasons I like to Jim's list was I was I was using kind of the same criteria that that he was using it not necessarily genre wise or or you know things that you would say that were necessarily outlaw but uh some of the stuff and like we were just talking about on the outlaws record with uh wanted the outlaws with Tom Paul Glacier and a lot of that my gut feeling on that is a lot of that is contrived. And I think a lot of that is the, I think a lot of that is kind of the same way with David Allen Coe. And I think to some degree, the sex pistols were a little bit contrived. They were the brainstorm of Malcolm McLaren and he put them together and he, you know, I mean, it was, it was all, it was all pretty heavily stage managed and, and, uh, and scripted and, uh, I like Buff that you didn't pick the pistols. You picked uh, John Simon Ritchie because, yeah, he really was an outlaw and probably, you know, really needed to be under the care of a psychiatrist. <laughs> but you know, and uh, that was kind of he was kind of what blew him apart. The few, you know, I've read a few books about that band, and and it all it all was very scripted, but you couldn't script him because he was crazy and he was a junkie. And, and you, you know, and so, all right, it's all been carefully scripted to make us look like these bad boys that spit and say ugly words. And, you know, and he would show up and then carve his own initials in his chest with a broken, with a broken whiskey bottle. <laughs> you know, so, 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 I mean, so, uh, so yeah, he really was, I went, I'm going for the spirit of the thing like Jim did. Uh, so I've got two performers on here that nobody would probably ever think of if you said, yeah, outlaw performers. Uh, number five is Miles Davis. Oh, yeah. Oh, number yeah. four uh, is Ray Charles. And R&B and jazz guys, but like the thing I was saying to Jim, those are guys that, that they were going to do what they were doing. They they were not going to change. You know, if... if uh, if Atlantic had said, all right, all right, Ray, here's what, man, we want you to, we want you to kind of tone it down and we want you to do these sort of softer, friendlier, you know, not, and remember in the fifties, man, that, that stuff of Ray Charles, man, it, it drips with sex. And if they had, you know, well, tone it down and that, I, I don't think he would have done it, man. I think he just would have went back on the chitlin circuit, man, playing piano in, in roadhouses because, to me, the outlaws are the, are the guys that I, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing this because it's what I do. And I'm not, 
I'm not going to put, I'm not going to dress up and I'm not going to put on a funny hat and I'm not going to pretend to be a sheriff and I'm not. And, and Jim, a lot of your list was that way, especially with the guys like Nesmith and, and Steve Earl, who are both wonderful songwriters. But so my number five and number four are Miles Davis and Ray Charles. And, um, uh, And I have to, I could use this for, I think the clash was that way. You might want to say it's Joe Stormer, but I, I think the whole band was that way. I mean, I, I don't think that, that just, you know, man, rock and roll in, the, in so much of the big rock and roll stuff in the seventies had gotten so damn antiseptic and it had gotten so boring that and I was just like, I, yeah, I don't like rock and roll. And, and you know, and, it's, and, my, and my mother go, because it's loud and screech. It's like, no, man, because it's boring and, and like and tasteless. You know, I mean, it's like vanilla paste that they didn't put the vanilla in. <laughs> so it's just paste. And, uh, but yeah, the, the clash out of all those, out of all those, uh, out of all those first first wave punk bands, punk punkish bands, punk type bands, they they to me were uh, they, like the Ramones. They they were real, and this is what we do. They were, in my opinion, a little more serious as musicians and, and songwriters, obviously, and the. The Ramones certainly were genuine, but they were also genuinely clowning. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of it was, and, uh, and, and Joe Stormer and those guys, I, you never got the idea that, that they were clowning and all the guys I've mentioned so far, you never got the idea that they took themselves all, all that seriously. They didn't take themselves that seriously. They were serious about their work. And um, so, yeah, I would have to pick the clash none of the actual country outlaws uh would make my list with the exception of willie nelson and and not with and not with waylon jennings but you know again willie was a guy that a great songwriter and um he had he had a vision of, of what his work was and what he wanted to do and he followed that vision, regardless of what it was. Man, remember when he did that uh, straight jazz out, what, uh, Stardust? And, and oh, everybody good. was like, oh, God, man, what's he doing that for? It's like, great, great record, man. And, and, that, and it had no right to be that good a record, and yet it was. And, and then what? And he turned around and did, like, Honeysuckle Rose, and you're like, oh, God, man, it's like a bad movie soundtrack. No, it actually was quite a quite good movie soundtrack. Can't say the same thing for the movie exactly, but the uh, but the but that was good. So yeah, so my number four is Willie Nelson, and I'm going I'm going more indie for my number one choice, man, Dave Alvin. And again, man, a guy that does what he thinks is what he feels is the thing that needs to be done. And, and, you know, and he, he worked with X and he worked with the blasters and he does that stuff. He's got that do that, uh, that do old thing with his brother. 
and then and then he makes a record with Los Lobos, man. You know, it's, and, and all those guys that I name, man, they're all genuine and they all believe in holding on to the wheel of their own car, man. And and, and so yeah, so that's my list. Oh, good one, good one. All right, Patrick, so going to wrap it up Great. on there. I had to uh, come in and uh, plug back in. I was running out of battery. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll start out by saying, <laughs> never get the feeling you've been cheated. Isn't that a Sid Vicious thing from the Great no, Retro that was, Swindle? That was, that was Johnny. That was, that was rotten at the uh, oh. In the last San show in San Francisco. Uh, like all y'all have said, I struggled with what that word means. Is it a trailblazer? Is it somebody who defies convention? Is it somebody who goes to jail? Um, and I don't know what my picks reflect <laughs> based based on that uh, rumination I had that that came to know resolution but anyway in your gut are your picks outlaws in one way or another okay then there you go the near the, so, the uh, the, there's your answer man. <laughs> but but uh this one and these are in no order but uh this one might surprise you because the first one i thought of was nirvana well, yeah man Here's that's what? a god that's a perfectly great choice that's a good I pick didn't, i didn't think of it or I, it yeah. would have been on my list uh you know uh, fresh from the careful what you wish for department their first long player on sub pop was bleach which sounded like nirvana and then they signed with geffen and put out nevermind produced by butch vig which sounded like a beer commercial <laughs> and, and that's the record that hey let's don't go to ripping on alcohol commercials god damn it <laughs> Support for my segment is brought to you by Bandero Tequila. Bandero Tequila. It's not mezcal. BanderoTequila.com. Always enjoy responsibly. Yeah, uh, and, and so so Nevermind sounds like a beer commercial, and that breaks alternative rock. And I remember I was I was a full-time uh, music critic at the time. I was like, what is going on? This is music that I like, and it's really, really, really popular. So after Nevermind, what do they do? They hire Steve Albini who won't even take a producer credit and is one of the most abrasive people in indie rock to make the most abrasive sounding record in utero that's ever been released into the mainstream. And it was a hit too. You can say Cobain was a poser, but I really think he was principal, you know, corporate magazines suck. Corporations suck. Oh man. <laughs> I would never call him. I would never ever call him a poser, man. Are that band posers? I mean, they had a lot of imitators that were posers, but yeah. But uh, he, I mean, he kind of pioneered that whole guns thing. I mean, it was. Yeah. And he was he was clearly conflicted about you know, and that's that's the thing when you're when you're an indie musician with with integrity, but you're also, you know, inherently doing something that you want other people to relate to and want other people to lie and, 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 and uh, hanging on to your principles and wanting to reach as many people as possible yeah. yeah man i mean all of a sudden you're having to yeah you're having to weigh what the trade-offs you're willing to make are and yeah man they just 
I wouldn't. I, no, I tell you what, I would. I, I can think of a lot of adjectives I would apply to Kurt Cobain, but man, Poser would never be one of them. And and that band spawned some other great players, man. Dave Grohl's one of my favorite just musicians ever, man. I right. mean, I, uh, and it's, you know, it's funny. Two of my, two of my most favorite musicians ever are from genres that I never listened to. The other one is Jack White. You know, mm-hmm. it just, I mean, the guys just, they can hear things, man. It's, you know what, Dave Grohl, uh, none of us is ever going to have as good a time in our life as Dave Grohl has being Dave Grohl. Every, every <laughs> single day. And it just, it, you get it, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Nirvana, um, this next one is kind of, this next one is kind of a reluctant choice because he's turned into an abject tool, but Sturgill Simpson. Oh, yeah. I, see, man. Yeah. never mind. Go ahead. I respect. <laughs> I, I think, I think we're going to get some rebuttal from Billy on this. Yeah. A li- little bit, man. Uh, talk, talk about your imitating poser. Okay, well, I've got, I've got a t-shirt in my dresser because he was like outlaw, outlaw, outlaw. Somebody ought to make a t-shirt with a unicorn and a rainbow that says so effing outlaw. And I have that t-shirt because somebody at the Sturgill Simpson uh, store decided to make one. But he was he was among the first to uh, to stitch back together country and R&B, which I really think is the best thing to happen to Americana in the last 10 or 15 years. And he just didn't care. He was busking outside of the CMA awards or ACM awards or whatever, just to be sort of anti-establishment. It's not a pose. It's what he really believes. And then he was supposed to be touring this spring. And my buddy Jay and I got tickets to see him at the Frank Irwin Center, the basketball arena here in Austin. And I started reading interviews with him in which he was talking about, oh, God, now I have to go tour arenas. Oh, poor, poor me. And he made a record basically to get out of his contract. So he used to be an outlaw. Now he's a jackass. I don't know, man. Everything I ever saw of his or any of the music that I heard, I didn't think he was someone's trying to be a outlaws he was trying to be Waylon Jennings <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have come out with a two-tone black and white deli man. you know but he had yeah. a, he he had a one hell of a lead guitarist there in his back in his prime yeah his name I yeah. can't remember because it's Eastern European but man that guy could <laughs> right. sounds, better, sounds better in the song yeah Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. Finish, finish uh, well, this one, this one has Outlaw written on the name of the band. It is, of course, Rage Against the Machine. The very best rap rock, rap metal, whatever you want to call it, band ever, 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 ever spawned a lot of imitators. Zach yeah, that's, that's, that's selling them short because yeah. it's it was a it was a very low bar but they were fantastic and, yeah. and again man genuine you know the genuineness of, of groups like that is what cuts through man i'm sorry go ahead well the cool thing the cool thing about that band is they were rebelling from within the establishment their first ep- uh, record came out on epic and it was a smash hit you guys know how i feel about morello tom morello is a freaking genius and he does so much with so little 
my <laughs> wife uh, my wife got me those online masterclass lessons mainly yeah. so I could listen to Morello. I always thought Morello's uh, pedal board was about two yards long. It's not. He's got about six pedals. He plays cheap guitars. He makes sounds that don't sound like the guitar. Uh, the trouble with that band is there's four people in it and they have four very, very, very different ideas of what that band should be. But they were angry. I guess they still are angry and political and committed. And you can't, you can't say that they're, uh, their beliefs are impeachable. They're going to stick to it. They're going to stick it to the system. They're going to rage against the machine. Along those lines, and much earlier in the indie hardcore scene, Fugazi, the linchpin of the DC hardcore scene. I have only ever heard of them. I don't know anything at all about that band or their music or anything. They uh, they were fronted by Ian Mackay, uh, they Henry were, Rollins' best friend, right? Before, oh, before well, there, well, there you go. Man. Before they were, before they were Fugazi, they were Minor Threat, a really great two guitar band, and really committed to their fans, and really committed to just the music and their fans and nothing else, to the extent that every show they ever played was five dollars, and every show they ever played was all ages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they've been uh, they've been dissolved for decades by now, but they really made an impact not only on the D.C. hardcore scene. And yeah, speaking of Dave Grohl. Uh, yeah, because uh, he came out of that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 He was in Scream. Yeah. Right. And uh, so they've been broken up for decades and decades. But Mackay remains this this shadow over the soul sort of a post hardcore scene. And they still don't care about making money because they made every note they ever played available for free on our website. Yeah, and they, I mean, they, Rolling Stone approached them to do a feature on them and, and Mackay said, do you still take cigarette advertising? And they said, yes. And he said, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go, that's, that's, go that, away. That's, <laughs> right. that's, that's something I neglected to mention. They were, they were the, 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 the tip of the sword of the straight edge. Straight edge, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you got one more, right? Here's a segue for you from Fugazi to the Dixie Chicks. That's outlaw, as in standing on your principles, come hell or high water. That that is true yeah, story. That, yeah, you yeah you got you got a there's you got a you got a defendable point in there. You do, man. <laughs> Now yeah. known as just the chicks, right? Just yeah. the chicks, man. Right. Which uh, I hate that, by the way. The cool thing <laughs> is, uh, in country music, as patriarchal <clears throat> as it has always been, there have always been some women sort of, you know, pushing the snowplow. Loretta Lynn. I was thinking to say, man, Loretta Loretta yeah. Lynn was a pretty pretty big outlaw in her time, man. Yeah, yeah. But the chicks, you know, they said things even before even before the uh, the feces hit the fan with what they said about George W. Bush during the Iraq War. They had Goodbye to Earl, a revenge. Oh yeah, thing. yeah, the revenge the revenge video. Yeah. yeah, I love that one. And they they took their lumps. They didn't give an inch. They came back and they changed their name because they realized maybe this is kind of not okay. Right. They were they were in the modern contemporary era, kind of like the original woke uh, 
chicks. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I really, really respect that. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not an no, I, I, no, I'm with I'm with you, Pat. It's weird. And uh like uh Pam said to me one, well, you know, they are exactly the kind of band I should like. They're it's an all you know it, it, it's an all-woman band and, and they and they sing about things and they write they write good songs their material's good they they do it uh tr compared to traditional country they they do it in a more progressive way where you know it's not woman's places in the home behind the stove and all that stuff and i said i should in theory and on paper i should absolutely love this band i just don't yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah Okay, man. Some honorable, some honorable mentions, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, and I, and I had one. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Really? Uh, yeah. For the uh, for the again, following, following the vision that you set out, and just saying, man, this is what this is what we do, and this is what we're gonna do because this is what we do, and we're not, you know, we're. we're I mean that they had huge success, which was kind of different. But I mean, I remember them guys from in the '80s, man, when it was, you know, pretty shocking. And and I, I'm not holding shocking up as the as the, you know, bar that you have to clear. But but the, but they they had what they did, and they did that, and, and they were going to do that regardless of whether you know they got. <laughs> Their records went platinum or they went plywood and they were, you know, had five gigs in the continental United States they could play. They were only going to do that. Anyway. Anybody? My honorable mention would be someone Patrick mentioned, and that's Steve Albini. Um, he, uh, a total iconoclast. I'm not much of a fan of a lot of his bands. Um, right. I'm a huge fan of his he doesn't call himself a producer, a, a no. huge fan of his, his recording. He's got a totally incredible studio that he built from the ground up in Chicago that he gets fantastic sounds. He will not take a, a cut of a, of a, of a record. He will only uh, record for a flat fee. He insists that his credit be recorded by Steve Albini, not produced. Um, he's got also, very, their website is hilarious yeah it is and and he had a he had a, a uh i think he still has a discussion forum for for home recordists as well and for someone who made music that i don't that i'm not a huge fan of and for someone who with one notable exception likes bands that i don't particularly like steve albini is one of the biggest cheap trick fans on earth so that he gets credit for that right. um, and and for someone who i know i would not like if i met and i know he would hate me um <laughs> i am a huge i'm, I'm a huge fan of, of what he does in the recording world huge right. fan. Uh, okay honorable mention buff yeah yeah i i would Wait, have I, just... got, I got one to go here i got one to go Go, Pat. Oh, just it just keeps keep up keeps the hits coming. Go ahead. I'm 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 going to call an audible because my okay. last one is going to be Dylan, but this discussion has brought me around to Public Enemy. Oh, oh. no, man! Excellent choice. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or again, like with the punk guys, almost any of them first line rap rap groups could could would fit this bill. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Slave yeah. off yeah. slave, baby. Chuck Chuck D uh, Chuck D famously said that uh, hip hop was uh, the CNN for black people, 
and they they <laughs> I were not heard that quote. <laughs> they were they were calling it like it is, especially when the bomb squad was cooking up beats for him. It was just unimpeachable. You listen to to uh, when the right before the in the few seconds before the beat kicks in on fight the power it's like it's just it's just kills sonically and in terms of uh lyrical urgency and also there has absolutely never been anybody better on the mic than chuck d the best mc right i was fortunate to see uh <clears throat> the super group sort of a mashup of uh Rage Against the Machine and Public Enemy and Cypress Hill at Riot Fest a few years ago, oh. and that was the best festival set I ever saw. So, yeah, uh, kind of a toss-up. I was going to say Dylan, because you can definitely make the case for Dylan. Yeah, yeah, you, you could. But, honestly and truly, after all these years, I'm much more of a Public Enemy fan, and I think they were dangerous, and that's one of the definitions of an outlaw. So, there you go. Well, yeah. Yeah. You got your you got your honorable mention buff. Yeah, I got two. Okay. Uh, Patrick made me think one while he was talking. It could just go on forever. That's, that's right? why I like letting him go first. <laughs> yeah, one of mine is uh, Iggy Pop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean know, he was very absolutely groundbreaking, groundbreaking and uh, and glass breaking and. Diving into broken and, bottles and, on the stage, right, and, pretty, and bone breaking, bone breaking, and everything, and uh, and Lester Bangs loved the Raw Power album so much that I bought it, and I couldn't even listen to it. <laughs> I always, I always forget that the three of you guys here are y'all are heavy duty Lester. Ba I mean, y'all are like disciples. <laughs> yeah, I, Lester is. Uh, yeah, he's right up there on my thing. My other one, I have to. Uh, Say is Mr. Uh, Ice T. Mm. Oh, right, I mean, man. No, yeah. Because uh, Ice T, I remember we were doing Edge Magazine in 1991, and one of the guys on staff, Philip Knighton, great guy, he turned me on to Jane's Addiction, Perry Farrell, all that, but also on to Ice T and Public Enemy and all that stuff that I would have never listened to before. Well, was he in NWA or Who, Ice T? Yeah, no. That, no, that was no, that I, was Ice Cube. Ice Cube, Ice yeah. Cube, Ice T's the one that you know wrote yeah, no, Cop I, Killer. I, I, I'm, yeah, <laughs> which Cop Killer is like uh, coming true right now, which is sad. But he turned. What's so weird is he was very outlaw, and now he's very, um, you know, he's a, he's a TV star. So he's an actor. <laughs> yeah, he came in. But anyway, that that's that. We'll let that wrap it up. I've got. Uh, uh, a mission for you guys for next week if you decide to accept it please just know that after i say this the your your computer is going to self-destruct uh want to do i was i know it's politically incorrect but what i wrote down was chicks rule which basically is bands that have at least one female in them that you like okay. at least one doesn't it's have to be all girls but you know, it can be, or it can be a band that just has one female. And uh, so we're, we'll be uh, celebrating. If you want to, I can do my list for that right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, hold off on it. We'll, yeah, I've got mine too. It's in my head, which is hey, kind uh, of scary. Question, real quick question. Yeah. Does does against me count? The what? <laughs> I, I didn't hear you, man. No, no, just uh, 
Okay. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Before notice. we before we uh, before we sign off, man, I do want to say uh, I thought this week's list. I think it. I think everybody here on the panel did great. We. I don't know if y'all were keeping score, but we largely chose artists that are not in a genre that we mostly listen to. Is mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, so we we certainly stretched that topic out more than you know what would typically be stretched out because outlaws and armadillos and you when i heard that last week you know i'm thinking oh god so we got what hank jr johnny paycheck and billy joe shaver and yeah all the uh, jerry jeff walker and all the old texas guys and all the old outlaw country guys but uh i thought man i thought our i thought our list were really i thought they were really good and really accurate yeah yeah well there you go uh no, don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. But the, no, uh, when you're when you're as smart as us, you're very very flexible. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I tell you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's good. It's uh, that was great stuff, man. And uh, we're gonna go on out, uh, closing out with a, another song, and we're gonna play uh, Alice Cooper. How about that? No more, Mister Nice Guy. One of my no, favorites man. from '73. Yes. 73 when I was young. I remember those years. Kinda. Billy, Jim, Patrick. Thanks, guys. Yeah. See you next week, Buff. Thank you, Buff. Yep. We'll catch y'all next week. Same bat time and same bat channel. And we're out,
Yeah, baby, Alice Cooper, going back to 1973. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. On the Kudzu Radio Hour, I want to thank uh, my partners in crime, Billy, Patrick, and Jim, for doing the program today. And thank each and every one of you who took the time to uh, listen to our uh, podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. The podcast is brought to you by the Box Masters. What a great band. The Box Masters and their new album that's coming out called Light Rays, uh, featuring uh, all the songs, original songs written by Billy Bob Thornton and J.D. Andrew, two of the guys in the band. And uh, it's really good. It's uh, I wrote in my review that it's their best album that they've ever done. So hopefully you guys will... Uh, Buy it and uh, enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, it's coming out soon. It's coming out soon. They had uh, gotten held up just a little bit because they're doing uh, vinyl albums, CDs, and downloads. And uh, and preparing for a big uh, tour next summer of the United States and Europe. So uh, keep up with everything Boxmasters at their website, theboxmasters.com. And follow them on social media, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah. Kudzu Radio Hour also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, but it tastes good. It tastes not just good, great. <laughs> it's really good, really good. So if you guys want to drop us a letter or a, a message or anything, just write to kudzumag at yahoo.com and put radio in the uh, subject line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to say right quick before I head out of here, I, I hope you guys will uh, subscribe to my new new YouTube channel. I have one for Michael Buffalo Smith, but the new one is called Ambassador of Southern Rock. Please subscribe to it. We are, uh, we're posting uh, live interviews. Uh, current The latest ones, singer-songwriter Marshall Chapman, and uh, photographer Linda Wolf, who uh, toured with the Mad Dogs and Englishmen back in 1970. And uh, we have one with Billy Bob Thornton and J.D. Andrew of the Boxmasters on there, too. So we're getting it, we're getting it going. We're going to have even much more, much more than that. Well, once again, thank you for listening in. And uh, we will see you again next week, same bat time. Same bat channel. Thanks, guys. I reckon that doesn't quite satisfy me.